Blog Talk Radio. Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Fatman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, 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 what's cracking? Welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie, and this episode is being brought to you by I'm thefatman.com. Go Check the website out. I keep promising to do another blog, and things have just gotten busy for me, and I'll probably be blogging here real soon. Got a lot to say. A lot has changed with me, and I wanted to really tell my listeners and and share with people what has changed with me and why it's changed, and and pretty soon uh, I'll be doing that. Um, Just want to remind you before tonight's episode actually begins to go back and listen to a pre-recorded episode I did. I got the episode up late. Actually, Jonathan Baylor and I, Jonathan is the author of The Calorie Myth. We did the episode Wednesday, but there were some audio difficulties, so I didn't get up to get the podcast uploaded until I believe it was Friday when I finally got it uploaded. But when you get a chance, go back and listen to that episode. I only had 20 minutes with Jonathan. So sometimes that's all you need. I asked the most pertinent questions I could um, of him and his book, The Calorie Myth. So go and check that episode out. It's uploaded now and you can download it or listen to it off of Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, I'm already going to call this a good episode because I know it's going to be. I just wanted to share with you before we even get into the episode. I am non-celiac gluten sensitive myself. And if if it wasn't for listening to this guy who I'm about to bring on here in a few and another gentleman by the name of Dr. William Davis, I probably never would have gotten the gumption to kick gluten out of my diet. And when I did kick gluten out of my diet, what happened for me was my weight regulated. I had was always a skinny kid growing up in high school. I shared this on Facebook today. Um, I graduated high school. I was 6'5". I weighed 160 pounds, and that's being very generous. And then as I got to be a young adult, uh, late 20s, early 30s, my weight skyrocketed. I I was 6'7". I grew two inches in college. And when I got out of college, my weight went to about almost 250 pounds, which was a lot of weight from a guy who was skinny. And I remember listening to Dr. Tom O'Brien and Dr. William Davis a couple of years back. I actually um, heard Dr. Bryan on a show that um, from Sean Croxon years back. Sean actually got me started with this show. I spoke to him before I started my show, and it convinced me to go on a gluten-free diet. So let me read a Dr. O'Brien's bio here, and then I'll get him on. I see he's waiting in the switchboard. Dr. Tom O'Brien is an internationally recognized speaker and workshop leader specializing in the complications of non-celiac gluten sensitivity, celiac disease, and autoimmune diseases. They occur inside and outside of the intestines. He is the founder of the doctor.com, which you can go visit that website. He is the visionary behind the paradigm shifting the gluten summit, a grain of truth, bringing together 29 of the world's experts on the gluten connection to diseases, disorders, and a wide range of symptoms and ages. Without further ado, Dr. Tom O'Brien, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you tonight? Well, thank you, Darren. It's good to be with you. Thank you, man. This is a long time coming. I believe I tried to get you on in 2014, and then Things got busy, and then now I'm finally getting you on, and I wanted to thank you for inspiring me. Years ago, you and Dr. William Davis were the people that convinced me to go on a gluten-free diet, and as I shared before I brought you on, um, I was able to normalize my weight, and then there was something else that happened with me as well. I was diagnosed with uh, arthritis in both knees. I had played basketball for a number of years and was uh, diagnosed with arthritis, And when I got on a gluten-free diet, miraculously, my arthritis disappeared. So I wanted to thank you. Thank you for that personally. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Uh, That is a very Mm -hmm. common type of response for people to get. That's something that they had no clue 
would have anything to do with the food they're eating that's not making them sick. But when they stop eating that food, their symptoms get better, whether it's um, difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep or depression or anxiety or poor liver function so you can't break down alcohol very well or Mm -hmm. uh, joint problems or vision problems. Um, I've been on stage. uh, I travel extensively and just teach about this. And for the last eight months or so, I've been starting off most of my lectures to physicians with this case study that was published last year. And that they talk about a three-and-a-half-year-old little girl that uh, was diagnosed with celiac disease. And in that diagnosis, you know, they put a tube down your throat to take a look in, at your intestines and what's it look like down there. And so they put her under a general anesthetic, and she had a slight reaction to being put under. Um, but in the process of doing that test, one of the gastroenterologists saw that this little girl had something going on in her eye, and she said, you need to take your daughter to, a, uh, get, uh, to an ophthalmologist right away. I'll get an appointment for you. So uh, two weeks later, they're in the ophthalmologist's office, and you know, he's looking in her eye, and he pulls down on the eyelid, on the lower part of the eyelid, and uh, I'm sorry, on the upper part, uh, upper eyelid, and has a little girl look down, and they lift up the upper eyelid, and you can see this nasty-looking mucousy tumor um, on her eyeball. It's called a conjunctival tumor. And uh, uh, they diagnosed it as Kaposi sarcoma, which is a big name that means HIV. It's cancer from HIV. And they gave her that diagnosis because mom was positive for HIV. And they wanted to do, but the little girl was negative on the blood test for HIV. So they said, well, we don't really know what this is. So we better do a biopsy here and take out a little piece of that eye and that tumor and take a look at it under a microscope. And uh, so we have to put your daughter under general anesthetic. And the parents said, no, no, no. She's still recovering from the general anesthetic of two weeks ago. We'll, we'll come back in a week or two, and uh, we'll do the test then. So they came back a week later, and the doctor looks in the eye, and he had taken a picture the first time. And so you see it in the medical journal article, the picture of this nasty, ugly-looking tumor on the eyeball. And a week later, the parents bring the girl back, and the tumor's a little bit better. So he doesn't do anything. He said, let's just watch this. Come on back again. And they keep coming back, and then you see the next picture is two months later, and the tumor is gone. And the ophthalmologist wrote the paper that said, we can't explain why or how this happened, but clearly this was an autoimmune mechanism causing this tumor from eating gluten, and this little girl had celiac disease. So I I went through that whole explanation for you because you would never guess that a tumor on the eye could be caused by a sensitivity to wheat. Or it may be a diagnosis of Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, which is a fatal diagnosis. There are cases in the literature of reversing ALS on a gluten-free diet or reversing rheumatoid arthritis or reversing diabetes. It's not true for everyone. But if the gluten is, is a sensitivity for you, you pull at a chain, the chain always breaks at the weakest link. You know, it's at one end, the middle, the other end. It's your heart, your brain, your liver, your kidneys. Wherever your genetic weak link is, that's where the chain's going to break if you pull too hard. Well, when you eat a food that's not good for you, even if it doesn't make you sick, you're pulling on the chain. And when you're pulling on the chain, if the weak link is your kidneys, you get high blood pressure. If the weak link is your pancreas, you get blood sugar problems and diabetes. If the weak link is your liver, you might get high cholesterol. So it just depends on where the weak link in your chain is. But if you have a sensitivity to gluten, you're pulling on the chain. That's why there are so many different symptoms, like your knee pain, that may go away for a person when they stop eating gluten if they have a sensitivity to gluten. Yeah, for me, I thought it's just because playing basketball for so many years and when you get those you know your knees you're doing so much jumping and running that you think that okay I'm just getting old but it was such a surprise to me and it happened re- relatively early just after seven days the knee the, the arthritis was gone I had yeah. no pain yeah, it was just, just yeah. happened just that quick um let's go back because doing research for the show um I understood that you were a chiropractor by trade how does the chiropractor start studying 
gluten and the connection of celiac and non celiac. Oh, that's a real good question. You know, it was uh, uh, when I was still in my in- internship, uh, my wife, my ex, and I couldn't get pregnant. And mm-hmm. so we uh, called the, I called the seven most famous doctors I'd ever heard of and uh, said, you know, I'm just an intern, but what do you do for infertility? And they all told me what they do. These were holistic doctors, really famous doctors in the, in the world that practice um, holistic health care. They all told me what they do. I put a program together, and we were pregnant in six weeks. And wow. my neighbors in married housing heard about this, and she had been through artificial insemination, and nothing had worked, and said, will you work with us? And I said, well, I don't really think it's going to hurt you. Yeah, sure. And she was pregnant in three months. So even before I graduated and got out in practice, I was hot to trot to help every couple that wanted to to get pregnant. And what we learned in that process was recurrent miscarriages, infertility, uh, when the baby doesn't grow in the womb very well, premature births, so many different conditions might be caused by a sensitivity to gluten. So I started studying holistic healthcare before I came out in practice. And chiropractic was my baseline education, so I learned about the spine and how important that can be as part of the big picture for somebody when they're suffering. Uh, but I learned a lot on nutrition. I'm a double board certified nutritionist, and I've been teaching this now for about uh, – 12 years on the road just teaching. I stopped seeing patients about 12 years ago and uh, full-time and uh, just travel and teach now uh, about this concept that, uh, you know, what you put in your mouth is the most important thing that determines how healthy you're going to be, how long you're going to live, how much suffering you're going to have before you die. You know, our goal is, if we think about it, our goal is that we all just go to sleep one night at the end of our lives and we don't wake up. You know, at some point it's going to be the end of life and you want to be suffering and moving like an invalid or a cripple for five or ten years uh, or do you want to have full function and keep you, and your body's working well for you until it's just time to go. Uh, in my case, uh, I want to make sure I'm hiking with my grandkids in the Alps in my 80s. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, I have to agree with you there. I always tell people that health is what you do between birth and death. You can take it however you want to take it, but health is what you do between birth and death. And you can delay it by eating well, or you can speed it up by not eating well. Exactly. So, um, you know, like if you're if you grow a garden, you know, if, if you got a little garden in the backyard or on your deck or something, you got some pots and you grow a tomato plant or something, and you put, um, excuse me, you put crap fertilizer in there, and then your your tomato plants aren't going to do very well. Or if you don't water them very often. You know, I just had this thought last night, and I was talking to my partner about this. So I was saying, you know, I've just never thought of it this way before, but do you know what happens if you don't, water a plant you know how the leaves just start to shrivel a little bit and they say oh oh it needs some water and you give it water and the leaves come back again uh, but every time you do that the structure of the leaves get a little bit weaker you know they get a little weaker and a little weaker they're being collapsed and start to break down but then they come back a little bit and that's the way our bodies are you know we all know we're supposed to be drinking five six seven glasses of water a day and most of us don't do it and we think we're okay uh, but if you're not hydrated, you know, if, you, if you're not giving your body the basics of what it needs, you really can't expect that body to function well for you for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. I mean, it's going to start to break down prematurely because you're not putting the right fuel in there. And this topic about wheat and gluten sensitivity just happens to be, you know, it's the most common food that people are sensitive to. Uh, most common, and the problem has been that no one knew that. Uh, No one knew because for most people, when they eat it, they don't get sick. They don't feel bad when they eat it. For every one person that gets symptoms in their gut with a problem with wheat, there are eight people that don't have symptoms in the gut. The symptoms are in their brain or in their joints or in their kidneys or in their lungs and you don't feel it when you're causing inflammation in your brain until you've got enough inflammation and you kill off enough brain cells 
now you start getting some brain function problems, whether yeah. it's depression or I just don't remember the way I used to. I must be getting old. Oh, really? How old are you? Well, I'm 36. No, <laughs> that's not supposed to happen. You know, you know, so you just don't feel it um, if the weak link in your chain is somewhere other than your gut. Most people don't feel it, so it doesn't make sense to them yeah. uh, until you do the right tests. Yeah, I wanted to get into that a little bit later, talking about the neurodegenerative diseases. But um, let's get into the terms, because I feel like terms scare people. When I'm talking to people and I start using scientific terms, then people seem to tune out. So let's talk about what celiac is, what non-celiac uh, gluten sensitivity is, and then gluten, because people don't even understand gluten. They just think that it's it's wheat. They don't know what it actually comes from. But if you could kind of take what gluten actually is and then explain celiac and non-celiac gluten sensitivity as well. You bet. You bet. The, uh, big, the big picture term is a gluten uh, – I said that wrong. The big picture term is a wheat-related disorder. A wheat-related disorder. It means you've got a problem with wheat. So if you have a problem with wheat, it can manifest in a whole bunch of different ways. Doctors or patients who have gone to doctors that specialize in allergies are called allergists. When people go see allergists, they often do skin prick tests on your back. You know, they'll they'll poke your back with some little needles and and there's some little food stuffs on there and they look to see do you get a red reaction to it. They're looking for um, a reaction. That's mm-hmm. uh, if that happens, that's called an allergy. That's a uh, a particular type of reaction that some people can get. Other people, though, they don't get that reaction. I'm, I'm going to back up and give you one more big picture um, idea here. Your immune system is the armed forces in your body. It's there to protect you. There's an army, an air force, a marines, a coast guard, a navy. There's different branches to the immune system. And the technical terms are IgE, IgA, IgM, IgD, different branches of the immune system. When the allergists do the skin prick test and they check you for food allergies, they're looking at IgE. And that's a really important thing to look for because if you have an IgE reaction and if it's severe, it can be nasty like a peanut allergy. It can be really nasty and it can kill you. So Mm -hmm. you really want to make sure that you don't have that going on. That's one branch of the immune system, one branch of the armed forces, IgE. The other branches of the immune system, though, they don't give you that immediate type of reaction, usually, like an IgE reaction would be immediate. So uh, when, when you eat wheat, you can have a sensitivity to it that won't manifest right away. You don't feel the symptoms. And uh, for every one person that feels symptoms in the gut, there are eight people that don't. They feel it somewhere else. So... The wheat-related disorder, that's the big kahuna term. That means you got a problem with wheat. Now, it may manifest as an IgE reaction. That's the ones with the doc, the allergist that does the skin prick test. Mm-hmm. Or it could manifest as celiac disease. That's when a wheat sensitivity kind of chews up your gut, and it causes lots of gut damage. That's celiac disease. Or it can manifest in your brain as Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or dementia or, or seizures. Or it can manifest in your joints as arthritis, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, osteoarthritis. Uh, it can manifest in many different ways. Um, it just depends on where the weak link is in your chain. That will determine where, where it manifests. So Celiac disease is when it manifests in your gut. Uh, But a non-celiac gluten sensitivity means your sensitivity to wheat is uh, reacting somewhere else in your body. Maybe your joints, maybe your kidneys, maybe your brain, somewhere else. So that's, um, uh, that's kind of the difference. There's the allergy. That's an IgE reaction. There's celiac disease. There's non-celiac gluten sensitivity, and that can manifest anywhere in your body, in your skin or your joints or your heart, your lungs, your liver, your brain. Then there's a couple of others also. 
um, there's different components of wheat. So gluten is the protein in wheat. Now, Bill Davis, you referred to Dr. Davis. Uh He talks a lot about a different part of wheat. Um, He talks about gluten a bit, but he also talks about another part. It's called the wheat amylase trypsin inhibitors. And if your sensitivity is to that component of wheat, not to the gluten, but to the amylase trypsin inhibitors, when you give up wheat, you lose weight. That's Bill Davis's whole approach about wheat belly, is that so many people lose weight when they give up wheat. And it's most often not because of the gluten sensitivity, the protein, it's because of the wheat amylase trypsin inhibitors. doesn't matter. You give it up, you lose weight, you feel better. Your joint pains go away, all of that. So it can manifest um, as celiac disease, as a true allergy, an IgE reaction, as non-celiac gluten sensitivity, as one of the other components of wheat. I won't get into the names of those because those are just confusing, but it's just other parts of wheat. But now let's talk about gluten. What is gluten? Gluten is the protein in wheat. Uh, So there's fats in wheat and carbohydrates in wheat, and there's proteins in wheat. Gluten is a family of proteins in wheat. And most people are sensitive to the gluten proteins in wheat. Some are not. They're sensitive to the amylase trypsin inhibitors or to the FODMAPs or to the gluteomorphins, you know, the, the other parts of wheat. Most people, though, are sensitive to the gluten, the protein. So gluten is a protein. Now let's talk about gluten sensitivity. So if you think of protein like a pearl necklace, and hydrochloric acid that your stomach makes, the acid that your stomach makes, it undoes the clasp of the pearl necklace. Now you've got a string of pearls. And it's our enzymes in our body that are supposed to act like scissors to cut off each pearl of the pearl necklace. Each pearl is called an amino acid. Proteins are made up of amino acids. And when the scissors break down the proteins into the individual amino acids, we absorb them into our bloodstream, and then the body uses them as building blocks to make new muscle, to make new bone, to make new uh, brain cells or hormones, you know, whatever. But the amino acids are the raw material, the building blocks, the bricks, if you will, that our bodies make new cells from. So it's really important that we can break down the proteins in our intestines with the scissors to these individual building blocks that then get absorbed through the intestines into the bloodstream. The problem with wheat is that no human can break it down into the individual amino acids. Harvard published on this again last year. No one can break it down. Whether, whether you get sick or not doesn't matter. No one can break it down, and it causes inflammation for everyone. And it causes this thing called intestinal permeability or a leaky gut. So everyone, when they're exposed to the proteins in wheat, because they're not digested very well, everyone gets uh, intestinal permeability. Now, the fastest growing cells in the body are the inside lining of the intestines. You have a whole new body every seven years. You know, we graduate, you know, we build new cells, you get new liver, new brain cells, new bone cells, new kidney cells every seven years. Some of them are really fast and some are really slow. uh, Bone cells are really slow. The fastest cells to turn over are the inside of your gut. Every three to five days, you have a whole new lining to your gut. It's like the snake of a skin, you know, uh, I'm sorry, the skin of a snake. You just kind of shed it and you make new cells all the time. So what happens, though, is when you eat wheat, it causes this inflammation in your gut, and you tear the inside of your gut. But the fastest-growing cells in the body are the inside of the gut, so you heal from it. So you have a sandwich for breakfast. You tear the lining of the gut. You heal. You have a uh, 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 soup with croutons at lunch. You tear the lining of the gut, but it heals. You have pasta for dinner. You tear the lining of the gut, but it heals. You have a cookie. You tear the lining of the gut, but it heals. A bagel the next morning. You tear the lining of the gut, but it heals. Day after day after week after month after year after year after year, we're exposed to wheat multiple times a day, every day. Mm-hmm. 
no one can digest it, so it causes this inflammation for everyone. Then eventually you cross that line. It's like the straw that broke the camel's back, and you don't heal anymore. Now you get this thing called leaky gut. And when you get the leaky gut, now you start having problems wherever the weak link in your chain is. So the inflammation goes into your bloodstream, and it travels to wherever the weak link in your chain is. If it's your brain, you start getting brain cells killed off slowly and surely until enough of them get killed off, and now you start getting some symptoms of brain dysfunction. Maybe it's seizures. Maybe it's attention deficit. Maybe it's memory loss. Maybe it's depression. just depends on where the weak link in your chain is. But it comes from the gasoline you're throwing on the fire, which is you keep eating wheat. Now, you've crossed that imaginary line. You don't heal fast enough anymore in your gut. Now you get the systemic effect, and wherever the weak link in your chain is, that's where you're going to have the symptoms. Does our healing, you mentioned, you know, having a leaky gut and that it tears and it heals and it tears and it heals. Does that dissipate as we get older, meaning does that slow down, that healing process, does it slow down as we get older? Because I'm thinking that as you're younger, things heal quick. But as you get older, right. you get in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, I'm thinking that that really won't heal as quick and those symptoms will come on more and more. Am I correct in saying that? You're very astute, man. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. And it's because the, envir- the environment of our gut, it's called the intestinal milieu or the microbiome. You know, that's all the bacteria in our gut. For those of you who are hearing this for the first time, we have 10 times more cells of good bacteria in our gut or of bacteria in our gut than all the cells in the body put together. 10 times more cells in our gut. And those cells, that bacteria in our gut, they have 150 times more genes than the human genome. Now, genes control function. Genes are like the control center that determines whether things get turned on or turned off. Do you make enough enzyme? Do you make enough heart enzymes for your heart to work right or not? And genes control all that. And it's the bacteria in our guts that regulate all of it. So the longer you eat wheat and ding-dongs and ho-hos and drink Coca-Cola and you know whatever other garbage you put in there, the longer you do that, the more you change the environment in your gut from good, protective environment that helps you thrive and be healthy to a really lousy, nasty environment that causes more inflammation, more disease. Um, so as we age, and we've been throwing the wrong junk down there again and again and again, I mean, I'm guilty. I grew up on sliders and Mountain Dew. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm not proud of it, but that's how I grew up. Yeah. And you know, uh, all of the damage that occurs in your gut as you get older, if you don't wise up and start cleaning up that damage, you bet. Um, you, your threshold goes down. You get more inflammation. Things progress faster and faster and faster. I want to ask you a question. I had the pleasure of working in food sensitivity testing for a little over a year. So I know a lot, and I had the pleasure of just looking at different people's tests. One of the things that came up that always baffled me was someone could, they didn't, they weren't celiac, they weren't non-celiac gluten sensitive like myself, but they came up sensitive to a protein in a week. And I had someone that worked with me because we could test for free as many times as we wanted to. And this particular person came up sensitive to a protein in a week. She just came up sensitive to wheat, not celiac or anything like that. Right, right. And I asked this person, I said, are you still going to eat wheat? She's like, yeah, I'm going to still eat wheat. What is your feeling to that? Because I was sitting back thinking that, wow, I'm never going, if I came up sensitive to a protein in wheat, I'm never going to eat wheat. But I had already known I was sensitive to gluten. But if someone comes up sensitive to a protein but doesn't have the celiac or non-celiac sensitivity label, what is your advice on that? Should they stay away from wheat, period, or would you tell them to indulge in wheat? That's a really good question because that person isn't feeling bad when she eats wheat or mm-hmm. she's not tying in when she eats a pasta that it gives her dot, 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 you know, whatever 
the symptoms are. She doesn't tie it together. But the next day or two days later, she's upset about something, you know, or she's depressed or she's getting angry at her kids much easier than she should have. And she says, boy, why did I get so so angry today? I shouldn't have gotten so angry. What was that about? No, I was just upset, I guess. I don't know. It was a bad mood. You know, we, we, we write it off. But what's the trigger that sets all that off? If the weak link in her chain is her brain, then it may manifest as anger two days later or depression or jealousy or something else. And you never think it's the pizza that you ate yesterday or the day before that triggered that sensitivity. You just don't put two and two together. But I'll answer it even an easier way. If the immune system is the armed forces in your body and the Air Force is on high alert, you do a test that says, you got a problem here, you got a problem, so you've got the Air Force on high alert, are, are you going to ignore that? And if you are, no, I'm going to ignore that. I'm just going to, let, I'm just going to keep eating this thing that the Air Force says is a big problem. That's all right, because I don't feel bad when I eat it. Listen, a friend of mine, Dr. Dale Bredesen, he runs the Alzheimer's Research Center at UCLA. He published a paper in November of 2014 in Medical Journal showed reversing Alzheimer's in 9 out of 10 people. Reversing it took five years, and it's a 38-point checklist of things you do because there's no one drug. I mean, are you kidding me? You ever think there's going to be a drug that's going to fix these complex problems that we have today? They'll never happen. That there was a 38-point checklist. Check this, check this, check this, check this, fix that, fix that, fix that, fix that. And one of the first things on the list, always, first thing on the list is, is there a sensitivity to gluten? Whether it's the Army, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, Navy, IGA, IgG, IgE, IgM, is there a sensitivity to gluten? Get gluten out of there. Get it out of there right away. Across the board, it's a prerequisite to getting better brain function. So... When you have a test that comes back, and that, see, the problem is most tests don't look at all the different branches of the armed forces. They only look at one, and then the doctor interprets it to say you're okay, but he's only looked at the Army. What about the Marines? You know, but if you have a test that comes back and says you got a problem, you might want to do the test again just to confirm it was right and it wasn't a mistake, but if you've got a problem, you got a problem. Now, you can wait until there's enough tissue damage, and when there's enough tissue damage, then you start getting the symptoms, whether it's Parkinson's or Alzheimer's with memory loss and dementia, or it's psoriasis in your skin, or it's your kidneys not working very well. You can wait until the symptoms are obvious, and then try and take a drug that all it's going to do is try to cover up some of the symptoms for a while. That's not a bad thing to do, but it's not going to fix the problem. It's not going to address where the problem is because you're still throwing gasoline on the fire. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The, The other thing I wanted to ask is that even in that environment of working in a testing lab and having the, um, the freedom, I would say, to test as much as you want. I knew a lot of people that were gluten sensitive, and the thing that always amazed me was they knew they were gluten sensitive, and any time we would have a lunch or something like that was sponsored by the company I was working for, these people were indulging gluten. And then they would yeah. tell me, oh, you can just have a little bit of, a little bit of it. I'm like, no, I can't do that. No, you can't. No, you can't, right. I, I remember how it used to make me feel when I did indulge in, in eating gluten. Well, I mean, yeah. speak to that as far as people who think that, oh, I can have a little piece of pizza. I can have a little piece of this cookie or whatever, and it, it won't harm me. They did a study where they looked at 1,300 celiacs and 33. 30- 300, I think, it was about 5,000 people total, 3,300 of their first-degree relatives. That means their parents and their brothers and sisters. And they followed them for over 20 years. Every year they got copies of their blood tests when they went to see their doctors and they saw the notes and they filled out questionnaires, how are you feeling, are you having any symptoms, how are you doing? And they filled out questionnaires about their diet. Are you cheating on your diet? If you are, how often are you cheating? How do you cheat? Uh, what do you eat when you cheat, you know, that kind of thing. They followed them for over 20 years, and they looked to see what happened to these people. 
Now, the standard mortality ratio, this is a big term, but it's called the SMR, the standard mortality ratio. With celiac, it's two to one. That means you're twice as likely to die early in life of something if you have celiac disease. I'm 64. My brother is 63. If I had celiac disease, I don't, but if I did and my brother did not, I am twice as likely to die at 64 than when my brother gets to be 64 of something. I'm twice as likely to die at 35 than when my brother got to be 35 of something. I'm twice as likely to die at 90 than when my brother gets to be 90 of something, heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, something. Two to one. That's with or without a gluten-free diet. These people still die early in life. So we know that's the standard, two to one. So these 5,000 people, they followed them for 20 years. What did they find? Those people that were really strict in following their gluten-free diet, they were doing their very best. Their SMR was 0.5 to 1, half as often instead of twice as often. Why? Because they were taking care of themselves. They were doing everything they could to stay healthy. But those people that weren't quite so meticulous on it, defined as eating gluten once a month, once a month, their SMR was six to one. They were six times more likely to die early of something than people that did not eat gluten once a month. That, uh, that was a slam dunk study. You know, when you see that, when you go, oh, my God, really? Wow, I didn't know that. Wow. Because when you turn on the inflammation, when if you eat gluten and you've been avoiding it for a while, or if you haven't been avoiding it, when you eat gluten, you turn on the sentries, the guards that are down in your gut. They're just on the other side of the stomach, in the intestines, and they're there to protect you. That if anything comes out of the environment of the stomach, you know, where all that acid is, because the acid kills bacteria and bugs and stuff that might be in your food, if anything comes out of the stomach into the small intestine, the, the sentries are right there, standing guard, and they turn on the inflammation. They call out the troops and say, we got a problem here, let's address this. And then you get all this inflammation in your gut trying to protect you. And once you turn that on, it stays turned on for anywhere from two to six months, from one exposure. Wow. From one exposure. Yeah. So all these people that are living their lives, and yeah, I can have a little once in a while. Well, okay, um, then you'll pay the price. I mean, the science is really clear now what happens. And just because you don't get sick and throw up when you eat something, that doesn't mean it's good for you. You have to use your immune system as the marker. You just want to make sure you do the right tests, and then you use the immune system as the marker to say, do I have a problem here? Or how am I doing? Am, am I doing better here? But when that test comes back positive to your question, to your specific question, if that test comes back positive, you got a problem, and you better not ignore it. Yeah, and for those people out there who have not connected the dots, just remember that your immune system is in your intestines. So that's that's a red flag there. Um, getting right. into we, we actually have four immune systems in our body. We've got wow. one in our intestines. That's uh -huh. over 70% of everything in your body to protect you is in the gut because that's where we get more exposure than anywhere else is what we eat and drink. There's a different immune system in your liver, a different immune system in your brain, and a different immune system in your blood. So we, we have four immune systems, but the one in the gut is the most important to protect you from the outside world. And when you eat food, you're taking something from outside and you're putting it inside you. That's why the vast majority of our immune system is in the gut. Is that immune system in the brain? Is that the uh, blood-brain barrier? What they... uh, in, uh, it's inside uh, the oh, blood-brain barrier. Um, it's called okay. the glia cells, G-L-I-A, the glia cells. And so anything that gets past the blood-brain barrier, the blood-brain barrier is a like a cheesecloth that only lets really small molecules get into the brain. And when you get your blood-brain barrier torn, and gluten tears the blood-brain barrier, causes inflammation right up against the blood-brain barrier, so then when you get tears in the cheesecloth of your brain, 
now these bigger molecules in the bloodstream that they're not bad in the bloodstream, but they're not supposed to get into the brain, but now they do because you, you've got a tear in the blood-brain barrier, and now the, the centuries inside the brain called the glia cells, they get turned on, they start firing their chemical bullets, and now all hell breaks loose because there's a lot of, a lot of collateral damage that happens when you activate the glia cells. Yeah, getting into symptoms, because people want to know, you said sometimes you don't have any symptoms. For me, I had telltale symptoms, but I always ignore ignore them. One of the things that always happened to me was I would get a great night's sleep, and then um, I would be sitting in a meeting. We had these what we call lunch and learn meetings at where I used to work, and they would always order us sandwiches and cookies. And um, I would eat the sandwich and eat the cookies for lunch. And then when we resumed the meeting at like 1 o'clock, I could not stay awake no matter what I tried. Yes, if I stood yes, up. Yes. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Another thing that I realized, too, after going off the gluten is that it gave me a high as if like I was sniffing cocaine or marijuana, and I could not stop eating it. And I would eat cookie after cookie after cookie. But what are some of the other symptoms out there that people might be suffering with as kind of like a poor, what we call a poor man's diagnosis if they don't, you know, want to take a test or something of that nature? You bet. You bet. You know, my my, uh, my good friend, Dr. Rodney Ford, is he's a pediatric gastroenterologist. He specializes in the gut of children. And he has a really good way of saying it. He says, who should be concerned about gluten? Well, anyone who's sick. So if you're sick, well, what do you mean? Well, you have, like, bladder infections, kidney infections, you're sick. Do you have uh, brain fog or you get headaches? You're sick. Do you get joint pains, your, your skin problems? You're sick. So when whatever you're doing is not working to where you feel great, if you aren't feeling great in life, and for a lot of people, they're listening to this and they're saying, yeah, right, right. No, really. We all should feel great in life. We all should be noticing that our health is getting stronger and better as you become more educated about some of the simple things that we now know make the world of difference. You know, there, listen, the World Health Organization rates the United States number two in the world in overall quality of health care. Number two, second from the bottom. We have the second worst infant mortality rate the second worst female life expectancy of 53 industrialized countries. We're second from the bottom, and yet we spend more than any other country on the planet per person on health care. Follow the money, and what you see is that we're all being encouraged to stay locked into the model. Just go ahead and eat all that crap food that they advertise on television and on billboards all the time. You just keep eating that, and then when you feel sick, just take your meds and you'll feel better. And, and, and the result of that kind of thinking is that we have the second worst health care system in the world. And people get sick earlier and they die earlier than they should. The newest statistic that came out from the New England Journal of Medicine is so shocking. Never before in the history of humans has this happened. Never to humans has this happened. But children born today have a shorter projected lifespan than their parents. They're going to get sick at an earlier age, get diagnosed with diseases at an earlier age, and die earlier than their parents. This is really bad, and we're just blindly going along, have our heads in the sand, keep eating Twinkies and Ho-Hos and drinking 7-Up or you know whatever it is that we're doing, or having the Vente uh, 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 – I don't even know the terms for you know Starbucks drinks <laughs> yeah. that are – like uh, like eight eight tablespoons of sugar in one drink, um, you know we just do this crap because we don't feel sick when we take it in, so we think it's okay to eat it and to drink it. You know, it's like depends on what you want. You yeah, want to take your yeah. grandkids hiking in the Alps? You can't do that. Well, you 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 can't keep doing that. You can't have a little once in a while of a poison that's gasoline on the fire. You just can't do it. Yeah, I want to. Get a couple more questions. I didn't want to keep you over an hour, but um, I wanted you to talk a little bit about molecular mimicry, and because I wanted to ask you a question about uh, cross-reactive foods. 
pretty much two questions, pop cross. But to explain what molecular mimicry is, and then let's talk a little bit about the cross-reactive foods. Sure. Molecular mimicry. Molecular mimicry is when your body, when your immune system says you got a problem with this food, it makes antibodies. Antibodies are soldiers. Those soldiers are trained to go after a particular food. And the foods are made up, like, in this case, wheat. And the food uh, is made up of um, amino acids. You know, the structure is made up of amino acids, like the pearl necklace. So the most common piece of wheat that the immune system goes after is called alpha-glidin. And it's 33 amino acids long. But I'm not going to say 33 letters. I'm just going to say A, A, B, C, D. But I'm, I'm, I mean the 33 amino acid piece of wheat when it's not digested very well. That's the most common um, antibody that our immune system produces. So your body makes these antibodies, and think of them like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold is the antibody to wheat. He's going through your bloodstream, looking everywhere for uh, AABCD. You know, he's got those dark Terminator glasses on. He's got his head out of a, the sunroof of a big Humvee. He's going over dash, over dash, and firing <laughs> these chemical bullets, you know, every right. time he sees AABCD. Now Arnold's going in the bloodstream past your thyroid. I'm going to use the example of your thyroid, but I could use your brain or any other tissue. He's going past the thyroid. And the surface of the thyroid that faces the bloodstream, the blood vessels, the surface of the thyroid is made up of proteins. Those proteins are hundreds of amino acids long. But in that hundreds of amino acids, it includes AABCD as part of the structure of the surface of the thyroid. Arnold, you know, he's, Arnold's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, Right. And he's got these dark glasses on, and he's, oh, look, over there, over there, A, A, B, C, D. And he fires a chemical bullet at your thyroid. Now your thyroid cell gets damaged, and your immune system says, we've got a damaged thyroid cell here. We better get rid of this thyroid cell, and you make antibodies to thyroid. That's a good thing. You know, you, you want to clear out the damaged cells to make room for new cells. Not a problem. Except you have toast for breakfast, AABCD, antibodies. Now you have a sandwich for lunch, AABCD, more antibodies. Now you have pasta for dinner, AABCD, more antibodies. Day after week, after month, after year, after year. And if the weak link in your chain is a thyroid, Arnold keeps attacking the thyroid. Your body keeps making more antibodies to your thyroid. Now eventually you get an autoimmune disease of your thyroid most common one is called Hashimoto's, mm -hmm. thyroid disease. Now you, uh, you get cold hands and feet. Maybe you wear socks to bed. You feel tired in the morning. You wake up. You wish you had 20 more minutes in bed. You can't lose weight even if you don't eat for a couple of days, that your metabolism slowed down. You've got all these symptoms of a thyroid problem going on. And it can have originated from the sensitivity to gluten. And the more gluten you eat, the more of the thyroid problem you get. It's the same mechanism if the weak link in the chain is your brain. And if the weak link's your myelin cells, you get MS. Or if the weak link is your cerebellar cells in the brain, you're an old person that can't walk without holding onto the railing going up or down the stairs. You don't have balance anymore. It just depends on where the weak link is, is where it's going to manifest. Molecular mimicry is the primary mechanism why the symptoms of a sensitivity to wheat can manifest in so many different areas of the body. Yeah, that's probably one of the big reasons, like you said, we have all these autoimmune conditions, because it seems as though autoimmune conditions are exploding. It's that's just, exactly right. It's just crazy how everything is happening. Um, talking about cross-reactive foods, and this is something from my own personal experience. When I took my test the first time, of course, I came up sensitive to gluten. I already knew that was going to happen. But... What I found out was um, it wasn't until I took the test the second time that my cross-reactive foods came up. And I'm wondering if that was because my immune system was so suppressed the first time of taking the test that after I pulled the foods out, 
that initially were discovered as foods that I was sensitive to, my immune system became stronger because I could tell immediately how I was before I took the test. After I took the test, and I'm just wondering, was that a reason why those cross-reactive foods came up the second testing? Right, it may have been. For some people, they have a suppressed immune system. Their immune system's worn out. You know, they've been fighting this gluten thing silently in the background for years because it's it's the most common food that we eat now. It's 135.5 pounds of wheat per person per year now. That's how much wheat we're eating. I don't eat any. That means somebody else is eating 270 pounds of wheat per year. Right? And so it's the most common thing, and your immune system is working hard every day. It doesn't take a break trying to fight this, trying to fight this, trying to fight this. Especially those people that get colds or flus. You know, one of the questions on our new patient questionnaire um, how often do you get the flu? Oh, just once a year, Doc. Maybe twice, but just, just a couple times a year. How long does it last? Oh, you know, usually it's gone within seven days or so. Really? Well, if you look at the questionnaires of so many people that come into our office, they don't get the flu. So it's not normal to get the flu every year. It's not normal. It's common, but it's not normal. So if your immune system is compromised, um, a little bit of a weakened immune system because it's worn out, the likelihood of not getting um, an accurate answer to the test is um, uh, pretty high. That, That happens pretty often. Hmm. Um, one of the cross-reactive foods that came up for me was coffee. Now, I love my coffee. I have not drunk coffee in a while, and my teeth were probably whiter for it. But um, I find that there's a lot of coffee substitutes out there, that things that are supposed to taste like coffee without having the real thing. And one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of those include barley. And I wanted to get your feeling on barley for someone who might be uh, gluten-sensitive. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. It's wheat, rye, and barley. Those three grains are the ones that have the structure of, of the proteins that humans can't digest. And uh, you hit it on the nail about coffee. It's not the coffee bean. It's the additives in the coffee that uh, one can cross-react to. Now, there are some people genetically that are very sensitive to coffee. It's about a third of the population. And if they carry the gene for that sensitivity, those are the people that really shouldn't drink coffee because it increases your risk of heart attacks, increases your risk of an early death. About one out of three people have that gene, but no one checks for that to find out. If you don't have that gene, you're probably fine with a cup of coffee, maybe two, depends on the individual, but a cup Mm -hmm. a day is probably not a problem for you at all. Mm Mm-hmm. So what you're you're saying like not to do the coffee substitutes, but you could do the coffee if you're yes, uh, you're safer with the coffee than with the coffee substitutes uh, that are made. Uh, absolutely, stay away from barley. If uh-huh. you find a coffee substitute that doesn't have wheat, rye, or barley in it, and doesn't have a bunch of chemicals, but it's some herbs, you know, there, there's some herbal things out there. And if you like the taste, that's fine. That's probably going to be healthier for you in general. Uh, uh, but it's the substitutes, it's the additives in the substitutes that are the major problem for people. Yeah. Um, last question, and my advice, I'm not the expert. I'm sure you're more of a gluten expert than I am. <clears throat> but I would tell people, and people have asked me, should they eliminate gluten? And I'll say, yeah, you should eliminate gluten. Um, but for those of people out there who absolutely have to have a definitive answer, if they are gluten-sensitive or celiac, what testing would you recommend for those people? Um, I recommend that everyone go to my website and download an article and read the article. The article Mm -hmm. is called The Conundrum of Gluten Sensitivity, Why the Tests Are Often Wrong. And I explain in detail the problem with the types of tests that are done today. And I wrote this thing so that people could take it to their doctor and the references that are there, the scientific studies and all that, uh, so that if you take, download this, print it out, take it to your doctor, here, would you read this, please, and order this test for me? That's the test you want to do, uh, because the test that's done in almost every clinic, every office, every hospital in the country, the test that's done most often is only a partial test. It's a good test but it's only partial tests. 
It doesn't look at the big picture completely. So um, to learn about the right testing, because it'll take 10 minutes to explain it. If you get the article, my website is thedr.com. Don't spell the word doctor out, just the initials, thedr.com, thedoctor.com. And go to the articles section and get the article, The Conundrum of Gluten Sensitivity, Why the Tests Are Often Wrong. And that explains it in detail. Yeah. And one more question I actually told a fib there. Um, you work with this all the time. What are the most prevalent conditions out there? You, you mentioned, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, early in the interview where you said if you're sick, then you should get off gluten. But what are the more, most prevalent conditions out there that could be uh, correlated with gluten sensitivity or either celiac disease? Yeah. Well, it depends on what study you read, you know. I published a study. I looked at 68 research articles and published a study on reproductive disorders and celiac disease. So recurrent miscarriages are very commonly caused by a sensitivity to gluten. But in the general, so it depends on what group you're talking about. You know, you talk about pregnant women and miscarriages. Gluten is sensitivity is the most, most common undiagnosed reason why they keep having miscarriages. And you save these uh, babies' lives, right? Uh, but for the general public, it's fatigue. Uh, on a 1 to 10, 10 is the amount of energy you think you should have. 5 is half as much. But wait a minute. Take your willpower out of the equation. When you take your willpower out of the equation, what's the number? What's your body energy? And that's usually a, uh, uh, a startle response from people because when I say on a 1 to 10, 10 is the amount of energy you should have, 5 is half as much, everybody's got a number right away. But then when I say take your willpower out of the equation, they go, oh, oh, yeah, it's a 5 or it's a 2 or something like that, you know, and I, I need to have my three cups of coffee a day. So fatigue is very, very common with food sensitivities. Uh, congestion, uh, runny noses, um, anemias. Um, not being able to absorb your iron is very common with food sensitivities. Um, gut problems, of course, but only that, that's an eight to one ratio. Uh, for every gut, every person with gut symptoms, there are eight that have the symptoms somewhere else. So brain fog is really common. Not being able quite to focus completely, very common to see that. Uh, those are some of the uh, a joint stiffness. You got to get up in the morning and move around before you're, you know, before you feel okay. You know, just all tight and stiff. Or you got to get in the shower or something. Uh -huh. um, those are very, very common to see uh, with a sensitivity to gluten. Yeah, and um, I hear you're writing a book. I don't know what the title of the book is, but um, when is your book going to be done? Yes, the book is coming out in September. And okay. uh, at the same time, uh, our next summit will be coming out in September. It's on autoimmunity and those hidden markers of what's making you sick, fat, and tired. And mm -hmm. how is it that you can identify this stuff? So I've been traveling the world interviewing um, experts. I just got back from Germany a couple days ago. I uh, interviewed uh, uh, almost 20 experts uh, on autoimmunity. And so the book is on that same topic. It's called The Autoimmune Puzzle. Um, uh, what's making you sick. And so um, we're going to talk about this in great detail, and that will be coming out this September. Cool. Hopefully I will get a copy of the book, and we will have you back on, because you know what? We didn't scratch the surface. I had so many questions, and we got into some different things, but there's so much more out there about gluten that I wanted to ask about, particularly when it comes to children, because now you're seeing this kind of manifest in the uh, the population of, of, of kids. And a That's lot exactly of kids, right. And I, and I saw a lot of kids when I was in the testing lab where they would come through with the uh, gluten sensitivities, then they would have the egg sensitivities, and then they would have, I mean, I myself had a gluten sensitivity, and I had 20 other sensitivities under that. So it was <laughs> it was. Yeah, the reason crazy. that happens, Yeah. the reason that happens, and that's a really good point to bring up. Remember I talked about this leaky gut thing. Your gut is lined with a cheesecloth. And just like your grandmother used to pour the gravy through the cheesecloth and only the gravy would come through, all the clumps would stay on one side, 
the cheesecloth in our gut only lets really small molecules get into the bloodstream. The big molecules have to travel further down the gut to be broken down by the scissors of the enzymes. You know, that's why the gut's 20-some feet long, is it takes a long time to break down some of these uh, uh, food particles. And when they're broken down small enough, they go right through the cheesecloth. But what happens when you have a sensitivity to gluten and you eat gluten, you tear the cheesecloth. You tear the lining. So now you've got this torn lining, and you know, when you cross the line, it doesn't heal. So you've got this torn cheesecloth called intestinal permeability. Now you eat the food, and these food particles get in through the torn cheesecloth before there's been enough time for the enzymes to act like scissors to break them down. So you get these big molecules, they're called macromolecules, that get into the bloodstream. And your body says, whoa, what's this? This is not good for me. I better fight this. And now you make antibodies to tomatoes and to beef and to chicken and to whatever the macromolecule is that slipped through the torn cheesecloth caused by eating wheat. And that's the person that comes back with a test that says 15 or 20 different foods are allergic. You say, oh, my God, that's everything I eat. Well, of course it is. It's because your immune system's trying to protect you from these macromolecules that shouldn't be in your bloodstream. It's not that your immune system's gone crazy. It's that you've got intestinal permeability and you have to heal the gut. And the first step in healing the gut is stop throwing gasoline on the fire. That's the yeah. first step. And then you have to do all of the nutritional work to heal that intestinal permeability. Yeah, I... Um... I pulled everything out of my diet for three months. I think it was 90 days, a little over 90 days, and then I retested, and most of those were gone. There were a few in there that I won't ever be able to eat again, and I'm, yeah. I was satisfied with that. But yeah. a, a lot of the things that I thought I wouldn't ever be able to eat, I was able to eat after testing the second time after about 90 days. And I've known the advice that I used to give people that would call me after they tested, I was telling them 90 days, and some people would take – Six months, they would have to pull things out, depending on the severity of it, pulling it out and then maybe testing again. And then I would also yep. just advise them that, hey, there's some things that you may not ever be able to eat again. You just have to have to live with that. You have a true sensitivity to, the, to those things. But I found that things like tomatoes, um, I was really sensitive to black pepper, just off-the-wall things. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 that, 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 that happens pretty frequently. And, uh, yeah, it takes three to six months, but you just have to heal the gut. And remember, everyone, that when you're going to heal the gut, you have to change the environment in your gut. That because we've been eating these foods unknowingly for so long that weren't good for us, and some of them you knew about, you're doing it anyway. Um, but you've changed the environment in there, and it's like the soil. The soil can't grow really healthy, organic produce because there's too much Coca-Cola in the soil, right? So you, right. Have to re you have to rebuild the soil, and then your garden gets healthier and stronger every year. Yeah. Dr. Tom, I'm, I didn't want to keep you over an hour, man, so I'm going to uh, let you go. We'll have to do it again sometime, but I, I really enjoyed having you on. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, and I wish you and your listening audience Godspeed in getting healthier. All right. Thank you. Have a great evening. All right, good show. Um, again, that's one of those shows where you don't get to get everything in. Um, if I were you, I'd probably go back and listen to this show a couple of different times. Like I said, I had the experience of working in a food sensitivity lab, and there was a lot of things I thought I knew before I started working in that environment, and there were a lot of things that I picked up um, when I worked in that environment. But one of the things I can say is I saw – as I shared with Dr. O'Brien, I saw where a lot of people, especially children, um, who had a lot of great results just pulling gluten out of their diet, pulling things like eggs out of their diet and dairy out of their diet as well. So if you have a child, you might want to consider having them tested. But there's a couple of things that you can pull out of the diet I just mentioned just to see how well they, they do. And if you're an adult, go to Dr. Uh, Tom O'Brien's website. It's called thedoctor.com and get the paper that he suggested and think about doing the testing. Or if you're one of those people out there who want to get tested but may not have the money to do the testing, I know that sometimes 
things like that come about, what I would advise to do is just take gluten out of your diet. I did it for seven days, and it, that's all it took for me to convince me to never go back on it. And at that time, that was late uh, 90s, maybe early, yeah, maybe late 90s, early early 2000. I knew nothing about testing. I just decided to take it out of my diet and left it out of my diet ever since. So if you're someone who's wondering and may not have the money to do the testing, I would advise taking it out of your diet. And then later on, you probably would want to get the testing just to see what other foods come up that you are sensitive to. Because if you have a gluten sensitivity, from my experience, chances are you're going to also have other food sensitivities under that as well. Like I shared on the podcast, I had 20-something other food sensitivities that I had to end up pulling out of my diet. So, um, again, you may want to get the uh, the testing that. A, a great show to combine with this show, with Dr. Tom O'Brien's show that we just did tonight, would be Dangerous Grains. I interviewed a gentleman, Dr. Ron Hogan, I believe that was in 2013, and he has a book called Dangerous Grains. And we go into a great amount of detail of how uh, wheat affects your brain or gluten affects your brain and get into a lot of different conditions. So if you have not listened to that show, that's one of the shows from early 2013. Go to iTunes and download that show and listen to th- that show and this show as well. And that will give you a great education. You will become a guru on gluten, so to speak, and you'll you'll know much more about it. So again, go to iTunes, download that show from 2013. You can also listen to that show off of Blog Talk Radio as well. And um, thanks for listening. I'll see you Wednesday, same fat time, same fat channel. Actually, Wednesday's show is going to be pre-recorded, so hopefully I'll be able to get that show up uh, in time for the Wednesday at 8 o'clock, and you'll be able to listen to that. And that's going to be called um, Misdiagnose. Um, gentleman name. he's a chiropractor as well. Uh, Steven Sadowski, I want to say his name is, might not be pronouncing that well. And he's misdiagnosed and we'll be talking about adrenal fatigue as well. So again, see you Wednesday, same fat time, same fat channel. Thanks for listening. Peace and love, y'all. Good night.